So welcome back to the Retail Maverick show Uncut and with your host Andrew Busby. I'm here at Souk on Oxford uh, Street and I'm delighted to uh, welcome the founder and CEO John Hoyle. John, welcome. Thank you for having me. So John, let's get straight into it as we were just chatting and we know that um, these don't go on forever and ever. We've got 15 minutes. Uh, so. For those who perhaps uh, haven't heard of, of Souk, although I'm sure there'll be very few in the audience that that uh, applies to, but tell us a little bit about Souk and the concept of it. So uh, I was a frustrated landlord um, who got just really upset that so many occupiers couldn't use physical space in the UK when there's nearly 100,000 empty shops. And what Souk does is it provides uh, a portal to infinite in real life opportunities. You can easily occupy physical space in an agile way um, to embrace all sorts of different occupiers, the brands of the future, the incumbent brands that we all recognize today, but also all sorts of uses that are not about retail. And our belief that no one actually needs a shop seven days a week. Different people need space at different times to do all sorts of different things. And we blend that occupancy to drive more revenue for the landlords than they'd get through a traditional business model. And tell us a little about, a bit about your sort of background and how you got this, because I know that uh, you had a career in the military uh, before moving into property development. Uh, you're involved in um, the uh, Olympic Games here in 2012. So there's a lot to talk about there. So, uh, yeah. and, and kind of, you know, what was that light bulb moment? So I think it was back in, what, 2019 uh, yeah. uh, for, for Souk? But tell us yeah. a little bit about well, kind of lead up. You know, so I was an army officer and, you know, as an army officer, you kind of, uh, you have no specific skill set other than really to lead other people. And um, I was four years in, in, in the army, year at Sandhurst, year in Germany, year in Iraq, and then a year standing outside the palace with a silly hat on. And that's an extraordinary experience, but it also means that suddenly you emerge from that age 25, 26, and you've kind of missed the boat a little bit in terms of going through the processes that many people take to join an industry. And in real estate, becoming a surveyor is that kind of rite of passage, but it's also a kind of bit of an indoctrination. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of group thing. So I, in a roundabout way, ended up working at Grosvenor, um, amongst other places, but that's probably the most recognizable ones. But I wasn't thinking like a surveyor or acting like one. In fact, I was questioning a lot of the norms that my colleagues, who um, you know, in many ways are much better qualified than I, just accepted. Uh, and one of those was, of course, the business model around, uh, around retail, which to me just seemed absurd that you know you can have nearly 15% of your assets empty and not be willing to adopt a different kind of business model to address that. And I could talk for a long time about all of the absurdities around that, but that's what led me to think, well, hold on a minute. We've seen other sectors, hospitality, office, all disrupted by much more flexible uh, forms of occupation. Why doesn't this exist in retail? And what do we have to do to make it happen? And that's where Soup was born. Uh, effectively a device that you can put in a kit of parts you can put into any space you can use digital content to create a better spoke environment there's a lighting system data-led analytics furniture and a services wraparound we can offer if you need staff or fulfillment or 
any other pieces to make that retail experience better. And by creating that system, we hope that the brands of the future won't need to take a 10-year lease. They won't need to make a crazy commitment to a location that's based on a kind of instinct or gut feel. They'll actually be able to test and learn and engage with customers at times that work for them in locations that work and, and really you know, benefit from the fact that every brand has a peak and a trough. They all have their Christmases trying to stay relevant 365 days a year, which is what you have to do if you have a shop, is really hard. So let them not bother. Let them embrace the fact that every customer journey is different. Have an online piece that's complementary to the offline and get all of the benefits of, uh, of e-commerce, but in physical space too, with none of the commitments, the ability to make a month's worth of sales in a weekend mm-hmm. and then dip out and go somewhere else. So let's just talk a little bit about the, the model, uh, because I, know I, I, I don't believe you do it now, but it used to be that people could hire a super space. And how many of them are there? We're, as I said, at the start, we're in the Oxford Street. Yeah, with, uh, our, store, with, many, with yeah. our two new Landsec deals, I think it's 13. Unlucky 13, for someone. Right. Maybe not 12. all in London. Is it 13? Yeah. No, not all in London. Half are in London. We've got Edinburgh, uh, Newcastle, Birmingham, Southampton, Leeds, right. two in so Leeds. Uh, and we're about to open our first Manchester ones and um, our first franchise overseas in South, South right. Africa. And the size, I mean, this is, I'm looking uh, around and it's probably, what, 500 square foot? Yeah, front of house, like five, so, 600 square feet. Generally, we need a thousand square foot-ish. Yeah, um, for the back office. And but then, increasingly, yeah. back of house is becoming more and more important for all sorts of logistical reasons. Yeah. So we like rear entry that allows no one to have to disrupt the existing occupiers this this one we're sitting in has got two stories so you can actually monetize the bottom for all sorts of things we had yeah bill grims he launched his report here equally it's been a um a, a reggae aerobics class which is basically twerking i don't know if you're familiar with twerking um salsa i don't practice it personally <laughs> but uh, uh, we did talk about this before the show this is a, this is a family show yeah yeah <laughs> But um, yeah, but, I mean, versatility is, yeah. is key. Yeah. But there's a business model that underpins all of that, which is that people will pay a premium for flexibility. Look how the office market is booming. And that translates directly into profit for the landlord. Yeah. Landlords don't love this model because they're so used to capitalizing the value of their assets based on the rent at year 10, which we don't provide. But surely in a sane economy, making more money of an asset on an annual basis is better than making less and having more certainty. And that's where the industry is is catching up as they suddenly realize how big the problem is and how the market is going to have to be more agile and less yeah. about the traditional model. That's not to say traditional leases are going to disappear. They won't. But there's r- room enough in this super mature and gigantic sector for there to be a blend of different approaches. Yeah. So, so I, I um, approach Souk and I want to uh, use the space so I can, for, for a day, for a week, yeah. for months, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm to... not allowed to say by the hour anymore, but we have yeah, had rent, sure. uh, rental yeah. by the hour. We're doing less of it because it, um, basically the demand is generally minimum by the day. Yeah. Um, yeah but of course, sense. this is super flexible. It can be um, just using the digital content. At the touch of a button, you can transform it into something that looks and feels completely different. It's not necessarily about huge amounts of stock um you know you can drive people to your online sales with an amazing interactive display we haven't touched the surface uh, of what we can do with augmented reality with live streaming all sorts of things that drive yeah. people into physical spaces 
And, and FOMO is a really powerful way of getting people into spaces. You know, if you know that your favorite retailer is going to be there all year, there's no urgency to get there. Whereas yep. our brands signpost that they're going to be here, drive their followers and offer them something unique, Yeah. Um, which means that we have queues as opposed to the traditional model, which is make a bet on a footfall number, see how that converts the price point of the goods that you're selling, make some slightly obscure um, profitability calculation on the back of that, and then sit there for 10 years and hope it works. Yeah. We think that's nonsense for the brands of the future. We think there's a much cleverer way of engaging with customers. And using this model, we think we can reach the mass market as opposed to you having to come to you know, central London to have an amazing retail experience. Yeah. We're actually saying, why don't you go to your customers? If you're TikTok, Nike, Adidas, Instagram, your customers are everywhere. And there aren't any big brand retailers saying, I really want a shop in Penzance. <laughs> but actually, there are customers there and you can drive, you know, like near 100% conversion rate of those customers because they will come to you if you're there for a short amount of time rather than vice versa. It was interesting talking about that, that, um, you know, the sadly now uh, demise of uh, M&Co. Um, now, there was one where I live in East Grinstead. And I have to say, it wasn't a store that I uh, frequented that uh, that often. But in its heartland up in Scotland, there were towns there, particularly in the, the highlands and the islands, that relied on that brand mm. and were really, really sorry to to see it go. So I, to your point about, you know, being Penzance or what have you. But... You, you mentioned that you've mentioned a couple of brands. Let's talk about that because I'm fascinated that you can have somebody like a Vodafone and a TikTok. And I think was it the Edinburgh store where you had the massive queue outside for the, was uh, it the TikTok? Well, we've had queues or? everywhere. I mean, yeah. I mean, Tell ju us a bit about ju just was it yesterday? We had um, uh, Raspberry Pi in Birmingham, and they always have queues. They've only got one shop in Cambridge, and but they have a global following. In fact, it's a brilliant story. I think, uh, I can't remember which paper it was in this weekend about a guy who'd flown from the States just to come and see Raspberry Pi. That kind of draw is brilliant. And they, any of the shops that they go to with us, there's queues around the corner, which is just a different way of using physical retail. Um, similarly, you know, the TikTokers and the influencers, uh, the Instagrammers dr drive massive queues. We Ironically, the police got called because there was too many people outside our shop for a selection of Instagrammers at a time where everyone was bemoaning the lack of footfall on the streets. So um, it is, it's a completely different model. This space in recent weeks has been everything from an Adobe activation last week, cooker, hot water tap. Um, we've had a Jägermeister rave in here. It <laughs> really can be anything. And that's the point. It, no, you know, there are high value retail hours in the week and periods in the year when you should be selling fashion apparel or whatever else. But if you think about the travel sector, they don't really need physical space or to really market themselves other than in January when everyone buys a holiday because they're so miserable or, or May. Think about wellness. It booms at different times. And then traditional retail towards the back end of the year obviously becomes and more important. And we think by blending all of those different uses in the same space is more interesting economically because it drives more revenue than rent. And because they're sharing a space in a shop that already exists, you don't have to build a new shop. We got nearly 100,000 empty ones. It's better for the planet. It's a totally shared um, environment. The carbon savings are enormous. And by playing that role, you save yourself money 
um, and you, and you sh- and the sharing economy is what increasingly uh, the world is is really excited about. And so when somebody comes to you, you, as I understand it, you take care of pretty much everything you know, behind the scenes yeah. for them, so they don't have to deal with landlords and so on and so forth and and yeah. worry about that. They just worry about is looking around and saying in in this particular uh, branch, there are digital screens on all the walls, and so they presumably remain, and then people, uh, I mean, we've got the Retail Maverick show up there at the moment, but presumably people will send a file, you put up whatever they, they want, and, and so forth. What, what sort of, um, is this a Monday to Friday kind of nine to five operation? I'm sensing it probably isn't. People want flexibility. No, we, I mean, I think we could probably hang the whole business model on just after 6 p.m., um, because events are what really excite people. I always use the art gallery as an absurd use of physical space because they're never full unless people are offering free Prosecco at them. And that's when all the sales of your art happen. So what's the point in the other eight weeks that art hangs on a wall and no one goes in with some poor, bored, very bored person sitting on a laptop? Absurd. Do it in one day or one evening and then repurpose that space for something else. Our median occupation is about six days, but as I said, we've had everything from the guy who turned it into a shrine to his girlfriend and proposed to her to a corona testing center that was there for 14 months. And that's that blend of amenity, community and retail drives economic viability in a socially conscious way. And that's you know the point of this. Our communities should own the assets that sit within them. And it's deeply frustrating mm-hmm. to me when I see an empty shop that in some instances is shut because vandals will say things like, oh, well, it's, it's a listed building, so there's no rates liability, so I can't really be bothered <laughs> to fill it. And you're like, that is criminal. Mm-hmm. There's always people that want to use space. They just need to be on terms that work for them. And we have created a really mature sector with layers of protectionism, the agency network, the fact that asset managers are often completely detached from their customers. That has meant that at the moment, we're failing at about across about 15% of the total number of shops, and it just wouldn't be acceptable in most other industries. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking about the, the locations. Have you, uh, and if I, again, if I, if I use where, where I am, in, uh, East Grinstead is a typical uh, smaller market town. It's, it's part of it dying because in the last uh, four or five months, I think we've had five of the banks pull out. So they're empty units, sir. I don't know yet what's going to happen to those. There are other um, uh, units that are empty. Have you got any plans that you're able to share? The, are, you, are you looking at expanding into some of these other or, or does it not make it viable unless you're in a kind of a major uh, city? Well, at the moment, we have a, a sort of an important audience to serve, which is investors. And as any startup will have, you've got to get people excited about the business case to get them to give you money to grow it. So taking spaces which we know are going to be successful is obviously important. But my belief is that actually the dominance of, let's say, an Oxford Street location like what we're sitting in is going to be increasingly undermined by the growth in um provincial centers as the future of work sort of beds in at the moment no one's got any idea what the world really looks like from a work perspective um, and and that fundamentally impacts what the value of your retail assets are and having a versatile fit out like this is is absolutely key to being able to address that demand as it emerges sure if i stop you there because uh, we'd like to keep it to 50 minutes and you mentioned a few things there that i really want to explore so 
Um, let's do that in part two. John Hoyle, thanks so much. All right. Lovely.